I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. The U.S. House of Representatives is back in session, having cut short their August in-state work period, sometimes referred to as recess, usually anything but recess uh, for the the members of the House. But they are heading back to Washington, D.C. today uh, to deal with a a host of things, uh, most of which are not left and right battles. This is sort of a left against left kind of week. And uh, there's a, a host of uh, gyrations and machinations that are going to take place in the in the House as it relates to a couple of uh, infrastructure bills as well as some voting bills. And so I this is inside source time. So we have to go to our good friend, James Walner, uh, senior fellow at the R Street Institute. Uh, James, how are you on a Monday? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Uh, I'm sure it's braced for impact uh, <laughs> in Washington as the House comes back. The Senate's still going to stay away for a little bit. Uh, we're hearing that uh, Speaker Nancy Pelosi is going to put forward a kind of a three-part rule, which is how the House functions, uh, that would put the $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill, the $3.5 trillion framework uh, for reconciliation on human infrastructure and just for good measure uh, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act uh, onto the floor. Tell us why she's doing this and what does this actually mean as we roll into the week? Well, if your listeners aren't confused already, then, you know, this is a great example of how the House can be just as confusing as the United States Senate when it comes to its procedures. But to make, you know, to boil it down real simple here, the House has rules. The House doesn't follow its rules. The House adopts special rules to govern the debate, the consideration of high-priority legislation, things like the infrastructure bill or voting rights legislation or even the, uh, the budget blueprint that will set up a reconciliation bill later on for a lot of the Biden administration's priorities. And so that's what's happening right now. The House Rules Committee is meeting. They're going to report, presumably, a rule, and uh, then the House would approve that rule. If, in fact, it does that, all the House has done is said this is how we are going to debate these three bills whenever we decide to debate these three bills. So it's not actually going to put them onto the floor per se, but it is certainly going to set the rules of debate for those bills. And is there, with the inclusion of, everyone's been really focused on the, on the two uh, kind of dual track uh, infrastructure bills, 
but adding this third component with the uh, voter right legislation, uh, is that more just to keep her own caucus on board and in line? Because surely they're not going to vote against talking about the voting rights bill. <laughs> it may be. It may be some, uh, you know, right now, Speaker Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi, a Democrat from California, she has as a divided party, which we don't see when we turn on the news. We see Democrats versus Republicans. But it turns out that there are a lot more divisions within the parties, and we appreciate. Liberals, progressives in the Democratic Party have resisted passing the infrastructure bill that the Senate just passed, and they're holding it hostage, so to speak, so that they can get guarantee action on their spending priorities and that this budget blueprint would set up. Now, she may be, Pelosi maybe putting this voting rights bill in this rule as a way to appease uh, progressives who want it, or she may be doing it to make it hard for moderates, moderate Democrats who are also opposing this current package unless they can pass the infrastructure bill immediately. So the speaker's got a lot of tools at her disposal to make it really hard uh, for rank and file members to vote no on a rule like this. And so that she's trying to make that vote as difficult as possible for for those members to make. Yeah. Uh, so let's so let's get to the, uh, again, kind of this uh, inter-democratic party struggle. Uh, we know over the weekend that uh, Representative Josh uh, Gottheimer, a Democrat from New Jersey, he's part of that uh, bipartisan problem solvers caucus, uh, that he has about nine members with him that uh, are really throwing down the gauntlet that, hey, we need to vote on the bipartisan bill first before we get to uh, to the bigger $3.5 trillion package. Uh, and uh, it appears it's going to be a, a who blinks first. Obviously, the magic number in the House is 218. Uh, can Speaker Pelosi get there without this group? And, and who do you think does blink first on this one? Well, the first thing that the leadership's doing, and they're doing it now, is they're conducting whips. Uh, they're going out, they're asking members, they're getting the president to call members. The, the Democratic uh, Congressional Campaign Committee is calling these moderate holdouts. They're trying to line up the votes before they have the vote on the floor on this rule. And they're probably, you know, they don't want to have this vote and have it fail, so they would not have the vote if, they, if it looks like it is going to fail. With that being said, though, you know, you're drawing a line in the sand, so to speak, or throwing down the gauntlet. It's important to keep in mind that all these members are doing, these moderate Democrats, all they're doing is they are using the leverage they have at their disposal. And in fact, they're taking, uh, they're following the lead of House Democratic progressives who earlier this summer said the exact same thing, but in the inverse, saying, we're not going to vote for that infrastructure bill unless you couple it with our spending priorities. And so now, you have moderates seeing, well, that was successful with the leadership. Let's do the same thing. And it'll be interesting to see how this all shakes out. Yeah, and let's look at the other side of the aisle. Uh, so do the Republicans this week, are they just popping popcorn and uh, waiting to see how the Democrats play it out? What should the Republicans be doing uh, in the face of kind of this inner inner uh, battle between the Democrats? Well, and this is something that the Democratic moderates have been saying time and time again. Republicans are going to support this infrastructure bill. We can afford to lose a few progressives. You cannot afford to lose a few Democrats on the Democratic spending priorities because Republicans are unlikely to vote for those. On a political level, I think, yes, or an electoral level, uh, Republicans are looking back. They're eating popcorn. They're saying, look at this. They have a hard time governing. With that being said, look at the bipartisan vote in the Senate on this infrastructure. 
infrastructure bill. Look at past infrastructure bills and Republican support. Republicans like infrastructure, regardless of what they say. And there are going to be Republican members of the House and Senate who like different provisions in this bill and would like this whole thing to be wrapped up so they can pass this bill because they need things to run on as well. They need things to tell their constituents as well. And so I think that, you know, you have these two different levels here and they're working against each other. Yeah, that's fascinating. Just real quick, got about 30 seconds, uh, James. Uh, as you look at where the American people are on this, uh, the spending issues seem to be creeping up in the consciousness of the American people now. Uh, many are saying they expect a, a middle-class tax hike as a result of a lot of this spending. A lot are starting to question, over 65% are starting to question, you know, are we, is it worth it? Is all this spending and debt uh, worth it in the end in terms of what I'm getting back? How do you think these particular votes this week uh, might impact uh, rolling into the midterms? We won't know until we're there, of course, but, you know, things can change in an instant. And when the American people decide that this is an issue, they're going to look back and see how their members of Congress voted. And if they voted the wrong way, then I believe they'll hold them accountable. Mm, Fantastic. Great insight as always. James Walner, senior fellow at R Street Institute. Uh, always a great uh, looking behind the scenes, and there's so much to look behind the scenes. I think it's important to note what James said in terms of the president's making calls uh, to some of these moderates. You have uh, all of the behind the scenes going on in terms of positioning, who's leveraging what, who's threatening what. Uh, there's a lot to break down, and we'll continue to do that on KSL News Radio as we go through the week this week. But, James, thanks for breaking it down for us. Thanks for having me. All right, we'll go ahead and step aside for a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to continue this focus on what are the American people really thinking about all of this? Our good friend uh, from the Hinckley Institute of Politics, Jason Perry, is going to join us next to talk about where the administration is and where the policies are and what that means for the politics coming up. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.